so today, when I was writing this, I had all kinds of tears. I figured I'd cry them out before, but it may not. I may just keep going, so sorry. But today, I am going to start talking about my sabbatical. Um, part of the sabbatical process is that I do have to come, and I need to. I'm contractually obligated to share the things of my sabbatical, <laughs> but... I'm not doing this out of obligation. I'm also doing this because I want to share with you guys um, what God um, did and some of the wonderful things, uh, some of the ugly things that came about. But um, I want to, I'm going to just take another minute for those of you who are relatively new. You may not know who I am. My name's Tom Preble. I am the co-senior leader uh, with Eric Haler. He and I and a group of others, we started this church in 1997 in his basement. Last June marked our 25th anniversary as a church. Yeah, that is something. Thank you, Jesus. I was 25 when we started this church. And uh, I remembered when we started, I, I was volunteering for... Most of the ministries I was involved in, served in most of those early ministries. I was leading our worship ministry. I led our outreach ministry. Um, I co-led the youth ministry with my wife and Chris and Ray McGlover. And uh, I did that for a while. And then after about six years, I was able to go full-time and make ministry my full-time job in August of 2003. I was ordained in March of 2003. Now, again, as I shared, we started the church in June of 1997. <clears throat> I was then married to my wife, Michelle, in September of 1997. And I also started a new job in July of 1997. <laughs> so if you really want to know the best way to start your first year of married life, plant a church, <laughs> get a new job. And start a marriage. And volunteer 20 hours a week for the ministry. I promise you it's the best way to do it. Because if you can survive that, you can survive anything. So, we're married, started the church, all that good stuff. And then we started having kids. And I'm just going to tell you who they are. Benjamin, our oldest son, he's 20. He was born in uh, 2002. Then we had our second son, Lincoln. He was born in 2005, our third son, Alexander, born in 2007, and then our fourth son, David, born in 2013. I'm not Amish. I used to be Catholic, but I think Jim Gaffigan laugh, makes a joke that if you have five, then you do have to become Amish or something. <laughs> so back in 2015, I took my first sabbatical. A year later, Eric took his first sabbatical in 2016. And after that, we had established a policy that all full-time pastoral staff would get a minimum of three months paid sabbatical time every seventh year of employment going forward. So for many years, even prior to 2015, Eric and I, we would talk and we dreamed about applying for the Lilly Clergy Renewal Grant. 
we'd like, man, that would be so cool. And knew a couple of pastors who, who got it. But most of the reports from pastors that we knew were all, it's a very complex thing and you're probably not going to get it. Most pastors don't get it when they apply for it. So neither Eric nor I ever applied for that grant. We just dreamed, hey, one day. Well, five years ago, Michelle and I, we celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And for that an anniversary, I took Michelle to Redding, California to go to a Bethel uh, conference. It was the, uh, what does that say, Open Heavens conference. And so we went there with Eric and Karen Haler, had a wonderful time. <clears throat> Once the conference was over, we drove back to the airport. We dropped Eric and Karen off at the airport. And then I surprised my wife with an anniversary trip to go see the Redwoods. These great, big, ginormous trees. And they are breathtaking. One of them, uh, we were able to drive our car through. And so... Um, We had a wonderful time. It was a beautiful memory. But at that point, I even started looking ahead to our 25th wedding anniversary, which was going to coincide with my next sabbatical year. And I knew that I really, really wanted to do something extra special for our anniversary. And the one thing that I wanted to do the most was I wanted to take Michelle to Hawaii. However, I wasn't sure how I was going to make that happen. Even though I had five years to plan for this thing, there was no way I was going to be able to save even a half of the amount for a trip like that. So I just kept that thought in the back of my mind, mostly thinking it's probably not going to happen, but hoped it would maybe. Well, as time went on, I remembered one day that I was, and this is a couple years probably after, I remembered I was thinking about it again. I was kind of praying about a trip to Hawaii and, man, how could this happen? And it was just out of the blue that I felt the Lord speak. And he said that he would get us to Hawaii through the Lilly Clergy Grant. My first response was, Eureka, that's it. God had shown me a way where there was no way. But then I started to think about the actual writing. And all that elation kind of came crushing down into the reality, having to write this grant. So needless to say, I was overwhelmed with the thought of this. But fortunately, I had a very good pastor friend. His name is Jerry Ingalls. He's a senior pastor at First Baptist here in Newcastle. And he had just returned from his Lilly Clergy Grant sabbatical. So I immediately hit him up for some insight, to get some courage, just all the things that I needed, and he gave me both. He offered all the help I could use so, uh, and told me, Tom, you can do this. Thank you. <laughs> I believe, I'm glad someone believes it because I don't know if I do. So, <clears throat> I talked to Eric about it, 
We prayed, we agreed that the church should apply for this grant. So we quickly put together a grant team. And again, we needed to put this team together for the purpose of constructing what renewal would look like for me, my family, and our church. And so, so we started meeting. We assigned some different aspects of the sabbatical planning to people who were willing to serve. And one of the more important responsibilities we needed was someone who would help me uh, write the grant because we needed someone as a church representative to write on behalf of the church. Tiffany Youngquist, a lady we are praying for and supporting, said, I have some experience. I'd love to help. And I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. So with our team in place, we started planning and we started writing. And once we finished the whole writing and planning process, we sent the uh, proposal in. And that was in February of 2021. And then in August, we were notified that we had won the grant. Now, I'm going to play a video for you. That sounds not the best, but I hope you get the idea. Well, I'm not going to do it. My son is. They're all wondering why I'm videoing this moment. What are you doing recording us? Yeah, so that was our happy moment that we got the news. And uh, so God had promised to get me and my wife to Hawaii on our 25th anniversary, and it was fulfilled. And to just show <clears throat> how the Father loves to go above and beyond, we weren't just able to take Michelle and I to go. We were able to take all our kids as well. And so that's kind of the origin story of how we were able to do what we did last year <clears throat> for our sabbatical, as well as all of the special stuff you guys got to do. Part of the sabbatical paid for the first Pokagon camping trip and has done something that we want to continue to do. So there are so many blessings on so many levels. But what I'm going to what I want to do is I'm just going to kind of go over what my family did for the sabbatical. This is going to be light. It's going to be fun. You're going to get to see some things that we did. I'm just going to give an overview. Today is just an overview of the things we experienced and how God encountered me in the sabbatical. And so our first stop was Hawaii. And so <clears throat> the Friday after Memorial Day, 
our entire family got on a plane and we traveled to Honolulu, which was the first time all of our boys were on a plane. Now, Lincoln and Benjamin had flown before, but they were both babies when that had happened. So we arrived in Honolulu, we took a shuttle to our hotel and we settled in. And from our balcony, as you can see, we had this wonderful view of Diamond Head State Park. From our boys' room, we had a beautiful view of the Pacific Ocean. I tell you, it's nothing like you've ever understood when you just look and it's only water. Every direction you look. We were also just two blocks away from Waikiki Beach, famous Waikiki Beach. And the waves were wonderful. There was a breeze constantly. <clears throat> but the waves were so great. It was wonderful. Bodyboarding was everything everyone was doing was bodyboarding, riding those waves. Now, as you can imagine, since we're flying, we didn't bring any beach stuff. We have no fun stuff. We're bringing towels from the hotel. I mean, that's all we got. But that did not stop our youngest son, David. David, our little boy, turned on his sweet charm, and he managed to get a bodyboard from some young woman on the beach. <laughs> In fact, she just gave him the board. She was so enamored. She's like, it's yours. And I was, when he came running with this thing, I'm like, really? Did she really give it to you? Yeah, she said I could have it. Really? Where is she? Where is this girl? I want... So he was set for the rest of the week. After about two to three days in, Benjamin, our oldest son, abandoned our family. He left our family on the beach to go join another family who were closer to the beach volleyball nets. He literally took his towel, packed it up, and went under their canopy. We didn't even know this until we were walking back to the room, and he's sitting. He's waving at us. We're like, uh, we're going back. He's like, great, see ya. <coughs> Don't you forget who got you there, boy. So Lincoln and Alexander stayed very occupied with diving for marine life and different shells and all kinds of cool stuff. And they love sharing the bodyboard with David as well. Michelle and I, we just tried to not die from the sun beating down on our pasty white bodies. <laughs> Everyone knew who the tourists were. It was us. So while we were there, we did all the famous sightseeing we went to Pearl Harbor, saw the USS Arizona Memorial. It was a wonderful uh, time of sobriety. We went to, on a downtown tour, which took us to Iolani Palace. And this palace is the only royal palace in the United States. thought that was pretty cool. Then we got to go see the uh, King Kamehameha building. It's not called the King Kamehameha Building. It's this word I can't pronounce. But this is, if you'll see, the golden guy in the back. How many of you remember Hawaii Five-0? 
This is it. This is where they filmed it. Who watched the new Hawaii Five-0? This is the same building. You walk up to that front door, and you can't go in <laughs> because there's a guard and a metal detector because they film inside this building. But it's a very cool little spot. We were able to do a luau with all the traditional dancing and the fire dancers and all the fun activities. We got to do some activities where we throw a spear at a target, and it was really, really, really cool. We had so much great seafood, just eating and eating, desserts. Yeah, there's lots of good, yummy stuff. It was a memory of a lifetime. Now, when we wrote the grant, we had to have a theme. And the theme that I had come up with was finding my song. It had been many years since I had written any new music, any new worship songs. And so when I had prayed about this sabbatical, what was, what was I'm supposed to do? What was this going to be ultimately about? It was finding my songs, what I felt God put into my heart. And so in the grant, we broke it down into three sections, three stanzas. Stanza is a musical term. And the first stanza was finding rest through silence. In this stanza, the point was for us to unplug from the noise of normal life and work. In the silence of rest, I would be able to be in this tropical paradise that God created so that I could be nothing and do nothing. I could leave all pressure, all pain behind for just a little bit so I could heal, begin my healing journey. And that is what Hawaii represented for us. It was silence from the cacophony of life so that I and my family could just rest. And it was wonderful. So, after that first week uh, in Honolulu with the boys, we mailed our boys back home. <laughs> and Michelle and I went on to Maui for a week, all by ourselves. So we got our rental car at the hotel. And it was, uh, we got to the hotel, which was right on the beach. Again, we ate more seafood. We laid on the beach. We sat on our balcony every evening. One night, we got to take a special sunset dinner cruise where they had some more traditional Hawaiian dancing and on board. Uh, another day, we got to walk on uh, Black Sand Beach. It was black and red. We didn't get to go to the super cool black one. It's, it was all booked up. But this one was really cool. It's I've never been in black sand. But one of the highlights of our trip was uh, a thing called the Road to Hana. And the Road to Hana is this, it's on the south kind of eastern side of the island. And it's this very windy, and I mean windy, 
Eric and Karen did it, and I think Karen threw up through most of it. It was awful. It's very car sticky if you are not driving. But it's very windy through this part of the island that is like a, it's like an Amazon jungle. It's like tropical, beautiful everything. And so along this, this path, you get to stop off at all these little places. So we got to see several different waterfalls while we were there. We, uh, this is a 100-year-old mango tree. Pretty cool. They have these rainbow trees, and you can't see it real well in the picture, but they are, have green and red and blue bark. Never seen anything like that before. Another place we got to stop was a botanical garden. And at this botanical garden, you go in and you can walk around on all these paths and see all these cool different plants and flowers and all this wonderful stuff. But they have this one spot where they shot a scene from Jurassic Park. I don't know if you can remember from the movie, but that little rock on the left is way down there now on the right. Very cool little spot. In fact, they did a lot of filming for the first movie on um, Maui, Kona. But everything in, in Maui was, again, it was just, it was amazing. But a miracle happened while we were there. My wife got so burned out on seafood that she begged to eat wings and pizza. <laughs> the heavens parted. So we found this really yummy place that made, and we didn't even know this, but they made their own wing sauce. The pizza, perfect. I mean, it was so wonderful. We loved it so much we ate there twice. <laughs> so our time in Maui was priceless. And I'm just grateful for God and how he got our whole family to go. It was wonderful. Now, when it was time, when we came home, we finished up Hawaii, and Michelle and I came back, and it was time to start the second stanza, which was resolving dissonance, which, again, is another musical term. And this stanza was all about me resolving dissonance in my relationship with God, any dissonance in my relationship with my wife and dissonance that may have been with me and my boys. So once we came back from Hawaii, I immediately left for Shepherd's Gate for a week-long spiritual retreat with Mark Goins. You guys remember Mark? He came and spoke a couple times last year. Once that week was finished... I came home, and then I immediately left for Nashville, Tennessee, to do several days of RTF, Restoring the Foundations, um, Emotional Healing, with Rick and Michelle Hensley. Finished that week up, and I came home again, and now it's like the 4th of July weekend, and so we just stayed at home, just enjoyed the week. And then once that was done, Michelle and I went back to Shepherd's Gate for a week-long couples 
retreat with Mark Gaunt. We came home from that, and then it was time to head to our favorite family vacation spot, which was Hilton Head Island in South Carolina. So while we were in, in Hilton Head, the goal for me was um, to spend time with my boys and talk about dissonance, talk about our relationship, resolve dissonance the best we could. And the way we did that was I had planned for us to go for a day of golf with each of my boys. It was a lot of fun. I wanted to have fun playing golf, but I also wanted to hear from each of them, how have I affected you? I wanted to hear, how have I hurt you? How have I angered you? How have I saddened you? And then I would share some things that were on my heart, things I needed them to work on in our relationship. So though we played golf, it was fun time. None of us played well enough to get on the pro tour. But what we did do is we connected, we healed. It was beautiful. However, um, my youngest son, David, I knew he would like something more than golf. Now, as far as David knew, we were going golfing. But instead, I surprised him with a shark fishing trip. Now, David loves fishing. How my son became a lover of fishing, I will never know. <laughs> I've never taken him fishing. I don't care about fishing. I've done nothing to encourage fishing. We don't have the fishing channel. And yet, he is obsessed with it. He knows the difference between different reels and rods and jigs and lures and he had to buy a hook hat, and I'm like, like a Captain Hook? No, Dad, Hook, H-U-K. It's this brand name fishing gear. I'm like, whatever, dude. <laughs> so we're in the car. He thinks we're going to golf. We pull up. We get out. We start walking, and we're not walking to a golf course. We're walking to a dock, and as you can imagine, this child goes bonkers. He is like, yes! So, we get on the boat. It's just the captain, my son and I, little boat, we head out. And we get out there. Now, listen, again, how much do I love fishing? So much. So I had planned for him, my little sweet boy, to do all the fishing because I could care less. I wanted this to be about him. I wanted to be into him. But to my surprise, the captain baited a pole, handed it to David, and then he baits a pole and hands it to me. Meow, <laughs> plop. 
I didn't want to say no. But I am just watching David. I'm like, how's it going, man? You getting a nibble? You getting a bite? You know, watch your line. Watch your line. You know, you got to be careful. And I'm just holding mine, and I'm just looking, and mine goes, doink, doink. Doink, doink. Snag. Real pump, real pump, real. My line got hit, and I reel in a black tip shark. We take our pictures. We throw it back. We rebait our lines. David had lost the bait on his line. Again, yeah, yeah. Look at your line. Keep it going, man. Watch it. You don't want to miss it if it hits, you know. And guess what happens? My line. Dink, dink. Dink, dink. Snag. Real pump, real pump, real pump. I don't even know what those words mean, but that's what the captain kept saying. Got to pump and reel it. Okay. So this time I reel in. A bonnet head shark, which looks like a hammerhead, but the top of the head's rounder. So, because I thought, hey, I got a hammerhead. He goes, well, that's a bonnet. Oh, yeah, I meant bonnet. That's. <laughs> In fact, I think it's pronounced bonnet, right? He's like, no, it's just bonnet. <laughs> okay. So we set it free. We take the pictures. We throw it back in. We rebate. Both our lines again, same thing happens. I'm watching David, guess what? My line goes dink, 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 snag. This time I'm like, I'm over this, this is his trip. I said, David, get over here. I need you to help me pull this in. And so I give him the thing and I'm holding on to him and he's really pumping and reeling and he's barely, you know, it's, it's a struggle. But I need this to be your experience, son. And so finally, he reels it in. We get it. We send it back. We rebait. Three more times, my line gets hit with a stupid shark. I'm just like, all in all, I catch like five or six sharks. With David's assistance, because I wanted this to be his experience. So, believe me, the com comedic nature of this evening is not lost on me. I'm like, ha, ah, you're funny. <laughs> so, anyway, we finish. We're done. It's night. We got to get back. It's time to head back. And so as we get ready to head back, the captain, captain tells David, he says, I'm going to need you to drive us back to the dock. So, of course, you don't have to tell David twice anything. Zing, he's back there at the steering wheel. Now, the captain gives him a quick lesson on steering. Uh, once David stops driving us around in circles and he finally gets the hang of it, uh, we head towards where we needed to go and so we're going along David's you know he's watching he's driving 
And the captain says, ah, we need to open it all the way up. <laughs> we are full speed ahead, and we're hitting those little waves. These are not big waves, but you're going, <laughs> I'm sitting in the front, and I am bracing like I've got a leg propped up on the thing, and I'm trying to smile and be the cool dad. I've got the phone. I'm videotaping as David is driving, and I am holding on for my dear life. Because at any second, this child could just throw that thing, and we're, we are, uh, what do they call that? Raggy, rag, uh, ragdolling across the water. Shark bait, too. I mean, and it's just cool, you know, because the captain's put his hat on backwards. David puts his hat on backwards. I mean, and this is a 20-minute drive back to the dock. And so we get back. We thank the captain. We get in the van. And now it's time to have the talk, the dissonance talk, right? So as we're driving back, I'm asking him. Now, parents, I'm going to give you a million-dollar tip, okay? <laughs> if you want to have a talk with your children like I did about dissonance in your relationship, but you don't want to really hear the ugly stuff, take them out for something fun, then ask them the hard questions. <laughs> there is no better time to ask your child how you make them sad or mad than when they're completely high on dopamine. <laughs> like, son, you know why we're here. Daddy wants to hear, how have I hurt your feelings? How do I make you mad? How do I make you sad? Dad, I can't think of anything. <laughs> I love you, Daddy. You're the best daddy in the world. Like, yes, I did it. They'll write songs about me, won't they, son? Yes, we will. Listen, I poked, I prodded, I goaded. I did everything I could to get something out of this child. Nothing. Nothing. I tried to bring up stuff. He's like, no, I understood. In the great wisdom of a nine-year-old, you understood the parenting moment. I'm so, so happy. Why didn't you act that way when I was doing it? <laughs> so I went ahead and I shared a couple of things that were on my heart that I wanted him to work on, and we called it a night. And it was a glorious night. So then we kind of went through the boys and did all that. Uh, another day, I got to go out and play a round of golf at a very nice course. Michelle got to ride along with me. Now, we didn't go to the pro course. There's a pro course on the island. It's the Heritage where the PGA runs through. Um, but I did take uh, Benjamin and Lincoln one day because I just wanted to drive out there and just see the place and all the cool memorabilia. You could go up to the men's locker room. You could see all the pros. They all own a locker at every PGA stop, so you could go see all of them. Um, but, you know, just for giggles, I was like, hey, how much is a round of golf? And she's like, oh, it's, we got a sale going. Really? What is it? Yeah, it's only $375 for 18 holes of golf. It's like, what's the real price? It's normally 425 
but you get a caddy. It's like, wonderful. So I went to the, the, not the ones that I played with the boys on, not the pro course. It was the one right in the middle. But it was a fun day. I got to have my wife next to me. All in all, our time in Hilton Head, it was just, again, it was this wonderful two weeks with my family. You know, when you go somewhere that you're familiar with, and you know where everything is, and you know where the Kroger is and the Walmart and where the beach spots are, and you just, it's just like being away, you know, you're being at home. And that's what it was. It was such a blessing for us. So after we finished um, in Hilton Head, we came home, drove home, and we had just a couple of days uh, to get unpacked, wash clothes, and then repack because we were flying to Colorado now for the third stanza. Let me see if we can get that to go. It's just not working. Can you advance it, Benjamin? There you go. So we got to fly to Colorado to begin the third stanza of the sabbatical. This third stanza is, again, what we call, I called Finding My Song, which was the same as the title. So in this part of the, stand, uh, the, the, the sabbatical in Colorado was a time for me to begin to think about making music again. Now, we have never been to Colorado so when we found ourselves surrounded by mountains, it was just breathtaking. Double rainbow, another rainbow. So we, we get to our, uh, we, we get our rental car and we drive to the place where we're staying and we arrive at our 6,000 foot square, square foot home that we get to stay in. Um, all, we all find our bedrooms. Benjamin and Lincoln are over the moon because they get a whole room to themselves. I mean, this house was so big, like, we hardly even had to see each other. <laughs> and I was like, this is heaven. <laughs> so we get settled in and start to explore the area, even just right there around the house. And Michelle and the boys, they find... Just a trail, just you know, a couple blocks from our, our house, and they go and they explore it right away. And then uh, <clears throat> we also, from then, we find some other places that we uh, want to go hike and sightsee, some popular destinations. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but I'm not that outdoorsy. <laughs> so, when Michelle starts suggesting trails to hike, and she senses my hesitation, she says, oh, look, look, this, this hike, this trail is rated easy. <laughs> Keep laughing. <laughs> Apparently, <clears throat> the people who rate these trails only have native Coloradian <laughs> in mind. And I made up a word, and I'm okay with it. Coloradian. They don't have flatlanders from the Midwest in mind who are nearly suffocating from the lack of oxygen at these high altitudes. So we are on the first big hike that 
this trail that we want to go see up this mountain to see some glacier. <laughs> and that's, that's the path that we're traversing. Now, as we're going up, there's, we go through different spots, and my boys are just like little monkeys. They are exploring rivers. They're jumping on rocks and logs like they're Davy Crockett taming the frontier. I mean, it's just, you know, there he is. And here I am on the struggle bus, coming up the mountain, hitting my inhaler every 10 minutes so I don't die from a lack of oxygen. You know, I'm just like, <laughs> just keep going. I'll catch up. I'll be there. It's all right. So we're going up. We finally get there on this easy trail. But of course, when we get there, man, it was worth it. We get to the top, and it is beautiful. We see the glacier, which we'll see it's more like an ice pack, but it was a glacier, I guess, a long time ago. But we see the glacier, so we're here at the kind of this lake area, and the glacier's over here to the right. And uh, glacier's on, and of course, my son Benjamin, Davy Crockett Jr., has to go all the way to the top of this mountain beyond the glacier. Now, that's the glacier. <laughs> see that little speck in the middle? I don't know if you can see it. Uh, the pointer doesn't work either. Anyway, that's my son up there. So I, I find a nice spot under a shade tree, and Michelle takes the boys, and they trek on up to the glacier. It was beautiful. Everyone survived, some of us better than others. So we finish that hike, and then Michelle starts looking again on the app to find more easy trails. <laughs> and they did get better. Or maybe I just started breathing better. I don't know. But we found some really beautiful places to go. This is Lily Pond, again, at the top of another mountainous area. Just all kinds of, of course, there they are. Like, they couldn't just look at nature. They had to be in nature. Like, why do you have to walk out in the middle of the river? Because, because, it's there. Like, all right. So, wonderful little hikes that we got to take all over the place. And while we're there, <clears throat> even I find an excursion that's it's more fitting for a 50-year-old pastor who just wants to live long enough to see his grandchildren. <laughs> so what I did is I rented us some mountain bikes and at a local shop and where you go rent these bikes, what they do is they drive you up the mountain, as should be done for any sane person. <laughs> they drive you up, they drop you off, and then you coast down the mountain for 14 miles on your bike. It was fun. You can see by the smile, I'm enjoying this moment as I am leading the way. 
so much fun, this trail. And uh, there were, on this trail down the mountain, lots of little spots that you could stop and see things. We saw a rock garden where people would stack rocks and turn them into animals and whatever. There was a, a river that followed the path with us for most of the time. Um, there was an entrance that we found to an old abandoned mine that caved in a long, long, long time ago. And then uh, we also got to stop at a, used to be an old mining town, now it's a little ski town halfway down the mountain. So there were just all kinds of fun stops to hit along the way down. So we finished that, we dropped the bikes off, and we head home. Now, when we were in Colorado, we did a lot of resting. It was wonderful. In fact, here's a pic I took of myself in bed, <laughs> looking out my window. Here's another put picture I took of me in bed, <laughs> looking out my window. I wanted you to be with me. So, again, while we were there, we ate all kinds of really neat food. That's Benjamin trying to catch a piece of chicken from the hibachi guy. Ding, 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 ding. The weather there was so mild. Uh, there was no humidity. The temperatures were like, it's in the 70s every day. I mean, it was just like, it's so mild and they don't even own air conditioners in their homes because it gets so cold at night you just leave your windows open and you're freezing in the morning and it lasts all the way till the heat of the day and then you just pull the blinds and I mean it's just perfect just wonderful weather we've never been there and then what also made it extra special is that we got a visit from some of our favorite people the Glovers were on their way to Redding California to drop off Elena at the Bethel School of Ministry, and they made a stop to see us while we were in Colorado. So wonderful, so awesome. So we finished our time there, and it's time to come home. We get home, and the boys are starting school. And then for me, I've got a couple of weeks of downtime, and then I head off to a conference at uh, International House of Prayer out in Kansas City. And that's at the end of September. So I go to Kansas City. I spend the week there just soaking in the presence of God. I'm getting refreshed. I received a bunch of prophetic words that blessed me just so much. I finish that time. And I come home. And I'm now waiting for the final part of the third stanza to begin, which is my songwriting uh, coaching through the Nashville Christian Songwriting Organization. Now this piece right here is something that I have wanted my entire adult life. For years and years, I have longed for professional feedback to really help me grow in songwriting. Now, when I signed up for this, when we wrote the grant, I had signed up for online group coaching. But when it was time to start, they were having a hard time finding enough people to build a group around me. So I'm just waiting. You know, couldn't do it in September. We're in October now. 
So nothing's really happening for the month of October, except that I am now pressing into God with what he's been doing in me. I am still reading tons and tons of reading. Uh, but there was one thing that happened in October, as you would imagine with anyone with a little extra time on their hands. I decided to shave my beard and go for a sleek new modern look. Yeah, that's what happens when you got time on your hands. Well, my wife had a less than enthusiastic response to it. She didn't care for my Van Dyke, so I just grew it back. Guys never get to have fun with their beards. So anyway, October comes and goes, and now it's November, and it's time for me to go back to work. Now, it wasn't until the middle of November that I finally got to start the songwriting coaching part. And actually, what had happened was they could still not fill my group. They couldn't come up with a group for me. And the guy who runs the program, his name's John Chisholm, he said, this is just weird, Tom. I don't get it, man. He says, we had no problem uh, filling groups in July, uh, August, 1st of September, we just can't get you a group. I don't know what it's like. It just dried up. Now, he mentioned, he said, I got one person that I could put with you, but I, he'd asked me if I had written and recorded anything, and I, I did, and I sent it to him kind of just as a precursor. And he said, I have a person. She's a brand-new writer, and you're not there, so I don't really want to put her with you. Just so because you're so patient, I'm going to give you one-on-one -on -one coaching for the price of group coaching. Yeah. It's like, hmm, I wonder why it dried up. I don't know. It's weird. I don't understand how these things happen. So I started that in the middle of November. And once again, it has been a wonderful experience. I am being challenged. I'm being pushed. I'm writing some new songs. Ideas are starting to flow. And I'm just excited for what God's doing right even now. And so that has been the outward experience of the, my sabbatical with my family. Now, I'm going to just share some things that are just, again, an overview of some things that God has started doing with me on the inside. Right now, again, I'm just going to do an overview the first thing that God began to do in me was he was to take me into a deeper revelation of grace. And then it started with me experiencing kindness. God began to unravel the broken and false parts of who I thought I was and what I thought about myself. He started my journey with leading me to an experience of kindness his kindness to me, but me also learning how to be kind to myself. Learning how to love myself the way that God loves me. And God began to expose in me the false identities that have been eroding my experience of love. He began showing me places in my heart where my true identity hasn't fully manifested 
And in this process of differentiating between my false self and my true self, I learned more of what God's love was like. I learned about his hesed. And hesed is a word, and it's a Hebrew word that talks about God's covenantal love. Hesed is his unfailing, steadfast, immovable love. It is the I will never leave you nor forsake you kind of love. Hesed is God's love that bonds him to me, me to him, and us to each other. And I began to see the love of the Father in ways I've never seen before. God also began to show me some of the reasons for why I was stuck. He started revealing the differences between how I wanted to solve my problems and how he wanted to solve my problems. And so I started to see where much of my dissonance was coming from. Not only was the father taking me deeper into his hesed, his love, but I was also getting a greater revelation of the love of Jesus. I started to see how Jesus truly deals with sinners and sufferers like me in my brokenness and in my despair. I discovered how much God wants to nurture and care for me. I saw things in the heart of Jesus that I've never seen or considered before. I learned how I can grow in maturity when I feel stagnant and cynical. I discovered that the issues of my heart that required healing would get healing when I shifted my focus from what I thought I needed to what I actually needed. God revealed some brokenness in my heart that I was completely oblivious to. I received revelation of a small shift that I need to make that would help lessen the friction and pain of my work. As I struggled with my value and significance, God spoke and he lifted this burden in an unexpected way. And now, even now, in these recent weeks, God has started opening my eyes to how joy can be a reality. That I actually can experience joy, and it's no longer just some distant principle or concept. Through my, my sabbatical, God spoke prophetically through others in ways that made me feel seen and understood. And now I've got glimpses of hope and an eager expectation of joy. All right, baby, I want you to just come and share a couple of things that you, she would grab the mic. I asked Michelle to just share briefly a couple of things that were on her heart that she experienced Some of um, my mountaintop experiences is what he wanted me to share on. And um, for me, uh, I didn't realize how tight 
I was wound up when we went into sabbatical. I thought, mm, I'm not that bad until I got on, started going on sabbatical and realized that I really was a mess. And so um, some of the things that the Lord did in me, um, he helped me to rise out of some of the lies I was believing and the shame associated with them. So one of the big lies that... Um, that made me feel so much disappointment and shame was that um, cry it out, baby. <laughs> cry it out. I can't. I thought I was done. Um, that um, that you're just too messy of a person for people to handle. So therefore, you're disappointing. And um, I know that sounds crazy here. I lead the emotional healing ministry. and But as I've encountered upsets with others in different situations, and um, I just have this deep need of connection with people. So when I would fail people, this would rise up in me. And um, it's it would cause fear. That would cause shame. That would cause me to... Um, Almost like like I would put this wall up and I would get angry. It was the way I would protect myself in it, and um, and so I, I, it made me want to run. Also, so it made me want to run. And so um, so when we were in that first month, I was like, I just want to be normal. I just want to be a normal person. I don't want to be noticed. I don't want to be known. I just want to be normal. Can we just move somewhere else? Um, but the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, he said, Michelle, you are a triumph. You are a hopeful triumph. Triumph is one who finds victory even in the midst of battle. You find the little triumphs that accumulate to a big win in your life. And then when we were at Shepherd's Gate, he said to me, I needed you to awaken again and stop running. I needed you to sit in your mess to be able to raise out of your mess. When you think you have no mess and you keep running from your mess, I can't raise you out of your mess. You need to become acquainted with your mess so you can learn and grow and not return to your mess. So I had to stop running and face my lies and disappointments that I felt. Those disappointments, whether... They were disappointments or not, you know. It's the way I was interpreting life through that lie. And it was affecting things that I didn't realize I was. And so one of the other things is, you know, when we met with Mark Owens, he, he gave us some books to read. And um, one was called The Deeper Journey Book. And in there it's about your identity in Christ and being your true self. And I realized that I had been wearing this religious false self for a long time where um and we can do that very easily as christians we start what's the right way to act why how would i look christian how would i be the best pastor's wife how do i present myself and how do i do things to make sure that i'm presenting myself right and that had really creeped in and i didn't realize that and it was very convicting when i was reading it and so i got stuck in the book because uh, tom's like did you finish that book and i'm like no i can't get past this one sentence um, yeah, so I just want to read that part to you. Here it says, it says, 
Ephesians 3.16 says, to be strengthened with power through God's spirit in your inner being. And he says, is to be nurtured by the Holy Spirit into a life of loving union with God, a life of increasing like Christ-likeness. We must always remember, however, that such a life is always for the sake of others. And when I thought about being Christ-like, I always just kept it to myself, not really thinking about that I'm becoming Christ-like for the sake of others, that my life is constantly being laid down for the sake of others, not for the sake of me to be a better person. It was just this paradigm shift that had to happen in me that wasn't happening. Um, and he goes on to say that Christ-likeness is a life of utter abandonment to God in love and at the same time, total availability to God for others. And I realized that um, it was one or the other for me. I was utterly abandoning myself for the sake of others, but forgetting about receiving the love of God, or I'm over here receiving the love of God and not doing much with it. Does that make sense? I, the two of them were not working together for me, so I got stuck on that. Um, because people are important to me. Connection is important to me, and um, that's when I feel the most alive. And um, and the other thing that um, became a mountaintop is learning silence and solitude and how to do that and find the quiet and be okay with just being quiet and doing nothing but being quiet. That was really hard for me. And so um, those are the things that the Lord, the, the main things, you know, there were things that he worked on with Tom and I where Shane would just eat my lunch and I would respond wrongly and he would have to point it out that it was shame. That's cause, you know, this is shame talking. And, and I've become very aware of how shame is, something of a struggle in my life that comes at me and it causes me to respond wrongly because I hate feeling it and which then enables the disappointments that come and so those are some of the things that I'm gone through worked on still working on and hoping to be rise up and be more of who God's called me to be have the confidence to be that and to go for it So, <clears throat> this is just an overview, and we're just giving you some of the mountaintops. We just want you to see where they were for my sabbatical, for our sabbatical, and there's going to be a lot more to say. We're going to unpack a lot more in the weeks and months ahead, um, but I want to say to you guys, thank you. Thank you for the prayer support while we were gone. Thank you for the kind messages that I received. Thank you for the financial gifts that some of you gave us. Thank you for being faithful to the mission of this house. I, I want you to know it brought me so much comfort to see that things can run so smoothly without me. I didn't have to worry about a thing. And so I do want to say thank you, worship team, for keeping this thing going.
like nothing's no itch. Thank you, Ashley, for administrating and taking care of the, getting the songs and all of that stuff. Sound guys, everything. Thank you guys for staying on mission. Most of all, I want to thank the Lord. God, I just thank you for blessing our church family with such a gracious gift of this sabbatical that we might encounter rest and reconnection with you and with each other. And so, Father, I just pray that as we continue to cultivate the, the new season of this year, that, God, what you've begun in me and Michelle and our church in the areas of resolving dissonance and creating silence and rest, finding our song, because everyone's got their own song. God, I pray you help us to walk this journey with love and grace. And I thank you, God. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you. And I love you. And I praise you in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.